Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. According to my research, one of the most important core pursuits of the happiest retirees is volunteering. Now, it's not essential that you volunteer to be a happy retiree, but I've seen time and time again that the happiest retirees love to give their time and resources in an effort to make the world a better place. That's why I brought on today's guest, Chris Anderson, to talk about his inspiring call to action for more folks to be generous and to give back. Chris practices what he preaches with his work as the curator of TED and TED Talks, which if you've ever spent a minute or two online, you've seen them. TED is a nonprofit media organization that leverages the power of ideas to make a better future. He's also the author of the book, Infectious Generosity, The Ultimate Idea Worth Spreading, which is a title and a message that the happiest retirees agree with and why I wanted to bring him on today's show. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So Chris, our audience is always seeking the the core financial habits to, to set up a foundation so they're, they're not worried about money and it's not on their mind as something that keeps them up at night. And then we talk a lot about, and this is where we bring in guests, around the lifestyle habits of happy retirees. So it may be family habits, it may be... Uh, and and generosity habits. One of our uh, one of our guests on the show has been Mitch Album, who who really the theme of Mitch Album, who wrote Tuesdays with Maury, was so much about giving. So he talked about giving is living. It is kind of one of his core tenets in the world. And we see a real propensity for retirees who are more generous and who are more giving tend to report higher levels of satisfaction, life satisfaction purpose, et cetera. So this is why we wanted to have you on is with your, obviously your new book, Infectious Generosity, and you being an expert around that. And really you, you kind of your entire life is, it seems as though you've been, uh, your purpose has been to figure out how to be generous and give back to the world. And you're tackling some very big issues in this book. And I know what your Ted talk. So Let's start with TED because it's been a global phenomenon for so many years. It's been, I, I guess, almost 20, it's been over 20 years. And that is, it's kind of, it's a, it's one of the most fascinating creations on the web. And I maybe, let's just start there because I've seen, it's funny, I've seen your advice come up online for years around how to give a good talk. And it's not just TED Talks, but just in general, I've followed you and you're, advice around presenting and 
the thought around ideas worth sharing. So maybe let's just start there to, to talk about the phenomenon that is TED. Hmm. Well, thank you, Us. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, TED used to be just like an annual conference in California, Technology, Entertainment, Design, it's a TED. Um, and um, I fell in love with it in the late 90s and had a chance to buy it. I was a entrepreneur. I had I'd set up a foundation. Um, the dot-com bust was not kind to me, but um, but the foundation still had some money. And so I was able to buy TED from its founder and run it as a non-profit. And um, the, one of the biggest questions we were asking was, well, we're a non-profit. We're supposed to be acting in the public interest. How do we let out the inspiration and magic that happens at TED, these sort of short talks that are accessible to people outside uh, any given discipline. Um, how do we make them accessible to the world? And we couldn't figure out how to do it until online video came along. And um, suddenly we had a chance to give away our content for free. But um, it felt like a crazy thing to do because that might kill the conference. Why would people come to the conference if they could get the content for free? We did it anyway. I was surrounded by a brave team and, um, <clears throat> you know, we were after all a nonprofit. And so we felt we had to. Turns out that even if we'd been a business, that would have been the smartest thing we could possibly have done because far from killing the conference, it actually increased the demand for that much more importantly still. It sort of sent TED Talks spinning their way across the world. And um, and it, it, that, it was that act and the insights from that that really were the seed to this whole book I've written now that in this weird connected age that we're in, the rules around what you give away and what you hold on to are just different. I mean, they just they just are. Some You give away something today, it can spin across the planet and uh, uh, bring you back stuff that you never dreamt of. And so we've, you know, really TED has been since, that was 2006 when we did this experiment and these talks went viral. Um, and we've tried to run TED that way ever since. We tried to imagine what could we give away that would be amazing. Well, let me ask this. So from, let's say, 2001, and TED was very much a, a destination, and it was once a year. Then you did TED for a while. TED continued on for a while. It was, what, four, five or six years before you made this decision about, around essentially giving it away. And mm. what was the evolution leading up to that when you, when you turned on the switch? Well, it wasn't possible to give away the content in 2002, three, four, other than to a small number of people. You could burn it onto a DVD. It would cost $2 per DVD per lecture. And so you just, that doesn't scale, you know, that would bankrupt you. Well, I guess with... at, the, at the time, it's hard to even remember this, but that during the early 2000s, internet was so slow, you couldn't really stream video, I yeah. guess. Is that, that was Correct. the issue? Correct. That, that, that's it. YouTube didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that, that wasn't a thing you could do. And in 2005, six, it became a thing you could think about doing. And uh, so, yeah, so we tried this experiment and, um, to our shock, the talks went viral. And what was even more surprising was that the emotional reaction of people was seemed, seemed like it was as powerful as people who were in the room. And I did not see that coming, that, that uh, you know, someone in a room, you can capture an audience. Turns out that someone on a video can actually move people to tears and can really spark really important conversations and changes. So that was that was the shocker. And it, and it meant, wow, wait a sec, we've got this incredible opportunity slash obligation here. We've got 
we've already got a pretty good archive of recorded stuff. And with a few changes, we could record our talks so that they look more theatrical, they're better done. No one else kind of owns this space yet in the in the digital era. You know, it, we should go for it. And um, and so, you know, we did. And we're just so lucky on timing that um, uh, right place, right time. This yeah, thing you, had the, you had arguably the best content in the very beginning, and you were able to kind of have a foothold right out of the gate. The, the numbers are, can you share just some general numbers? I mean, I think I've seen that you get something like <laughs> a billion views. Is that per year or is that total? <laughs> no, per, um, it's, 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 it's more than that. So the, so the total views, I mean, as you know, on the internet, how you count impressions and listens and views, it's all, it's, it's, it's a bit squidgier on the edges. But approximately speaking, we get about 3 billion uh, impressions a year, so views or listens to audio. Um, a billion of those uh, are from TEDx, which is another act of just giving things away. We gave away our brand to allow people to do these TEDx events around. Okay, so are the they world. almost is a TEDx almost a <laughs> franchise of TED? How does it? How- it's a free franchise, so it, it, people don't pay anything to do it, and we don't control ultimately the content of who they pick for their speakers. Yeah. We give them tools for how to run an event in our format and in our style, how to coach speakers and so forth. And there are some guiding principles like to steer clear of politics and religion and pseudoscience, stuff that- Same, same rules as Thanksgiving yeah. dinner table. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, but what was, we? Were, everyone told us not to do this, that we would, that it would be very damaging for the brand. And maybe there were a couple of embarrassing moments. But what was amazing about that decision is that the vast majority of people sweat blood and tears to make a great event. And the events got better each year. They learned from each other. We learned from them. And just the scale takes your breath away in terms of like what you could do. So I had 10 people in the end overseeing this program in New York. They collectively oversee now 3,000 global events. Which generate twenty five thousand videos online each year, and have and amount to now about a billion views on YouTube each each year. I mean, you just you you could not build a media company that way with ten people at all. It, the only reason it was possible was by adopting a kind of radical generosity principle strategy. And um, so this this is why I've I've just become convinced that the the rules haven't just changed a bit, that there's just massive new opportunity in this connected age to rethink how we think about generosity. Because it's not just organizations like TED that can do this. Any organization, I think, has an opportunity here. I think any individual who has something that they could share online could could potentially really make a difference this way as well. So Chris, though, TED is still a nonprofit, correct? Yes. And then, correct. so if you're giving this away for free, but you, I guess... Has it just been built on advertising, though, the revenue that comes in, and then you can continue to expand the message? Yeah. Well, the business model keeps changing. I mean, uh, for a long time, our main business model was still selling tickets to conferences. And, mm-hmm. you know, the demand for the conference rose. And so we we had the funding to uh, just give away content globally. Uh, we get some advertising r- revenue for places like YouTube and elsewhere. We have some sponsors and uh, partners who, you know, who, who we work with. And then there's a growing amount of philanthropy. We are dependent on donations uh, to TED. It, um, 
for for the rest of it. It's it's, it's a pretty you know there's 200 people now. It's about gosh now I think it's like a hundred million dollar uh, operation, and um, and you know I I I did not see this coming when I when I when I took it on. But um, but it's it's as as everyone who is involved with sort of trying to navigate this online space now, the, the business models need thinking about carefully about how, how you get your mix of revenue. But the one thing that is crystal clear is that if you can find something to give away online that people love, it will spread like wildfire. And that creates enormous opportunities for you. It all begins with that spread. People, If people know who you are, if you've got a reputation, so much can happen as a result of that. So if we think about it, thinking about you were going through this path and just you you've had this propensity for generosity obviously for years for probably for your whole whole life then you as you're experimenting with this it's working and you're getting back more, to some extent you're getting back a multiple of what you're giving mm. and then you start to think about this idea maybe as more concrete with with generosity and then infectious generosity was there a moment in the world that we live in today that is we're bombarded with social media and it bleeds it leads and and mm. and and the news is always scary and I'm in the financial yes. industry so there's almost it's about 80% 90% of all headlines are 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 fear-mongering once in a while you you get the the aspirational headline which is you know woman who uh, does part-time work now lives in a bus and makes $30,000 a month, right? It's like once in a while you get something that they, oh, that sounds fun, but but most of it is about fear and Correct. scaring folks. Is did that just boil? Eventually, bubble up for you? What happened? Yes, it did. So I'm naturally uh, optimistic, and during the early years of the internet, I was a huge uh, techno optimist about what the internet was doing. It felt like at last there was something that could bring the world together. You could see people on the other side of the world. Um, you know, we could break all all manner of sort of barriers between us. And it was, I would say, that the last ten years has been crushingly depressing of seeing <laughs> how what actually happened. You know, there's. Um, I mean, to cut a long story short, and everyone has their own version of this, but it turned out that the internet and especially social media platforms ended up contributing to a wor- world that was getting increasingly divided. Um, and um, and I I was utterly dismayed by this. And in a way, this book is partly an attempt to try and fight back against it because I don't think it has to be this way. In fact, I think it cannot be this way. If we continue to divide ourselves, talk ourselves down, um, we will not, as a as a species, we'll not be able to achieve anything. You know, every everything great that we have ever done has depended on people being able to cooperate with each other and listen to each other and learn from each other and work together and build things together that we all get excited by. And we're taking away that superpower. It's super dangerous. Um, so what can we do about it? I mean, I think the first step is is trying to understand why and what happened. And, you know, there are specific reasons why we tell ourselves these dark stories. You know, there's, there's, I mean, the main thing is this evolutionary reason that we just, um, we're wired to respond to threats mm-hmm. that bit more than we are wired to respond to opportunities. And so the voices that get most attention early on um, are those that, that shriek 
danger, danger. You know, look how horrible those people on the other side are and what they're doing. Danger, danger. And, and they get the followers and they end up dominating the conversation, even though what they're saying truly is not reflective of how most, most humans people are. people think, yes. Most people, you know, I mean, we have, we have different opinions, but we all have hopes and dreams. We all have kids we care about. We, we all want the future to be better. We all weep, we all laugh, we all bleed. And, um, and the, you know, when, when you actually, when people talk with each other about their life experience, they can, they can find more in common than they're not. And I think the key and the reason why I get so excited about ideas in general is that if you can shift the conversation from push-pull, who has power, who doesn't, who gets to control the conversation, who doesn't, if you could shift it from that to um, a conversation about imagining, you know, what could the world be like? Let's dream a bit, let's innovate. Our, our, our human superpower is to be able to dream about multiple possible futures. And um, and that is fundamentally a non-zero-sum world. So even people who disagree can actually, in the right circumstances, can find common ground, can build things together. But the first step is to get, get us just believing in each other. And so, so some of the most important acts of generosity today aren't, aren't financial. They're just simply being willing to see each other with respect, to listen, and to connect, to try to bridge, to try not to not be part of the pylon culture and instead be part of the, let's actually look for what's good online and amplify that instead. So this is your attempt to fight back against it because we've always had a world where fear does kind of lead, but now there's this 10x fuel behind it, which is social media. And you can, yes. and I think it's a really interesting point. It's that the extremist views are are held by so few people, that, that it, yet they get so much of the attention, and and it's almost as as you look around and people look around and say, well, how many people really are that extreme? And the reality is that I it, it that we're just not as a people as a humanity we're just not that extreme. It's just that extremism is really what gets the attention. And it's harder to combat it today, Chris, I think, than ever because social media is so big. I mean, it was just this week, right? You've got the heads of social media companies at Congress and they're getting hammered because there's a much more widely accepted thought that social media is, for the most part, is is pretty, pretty terrible. So under the surface, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people doing amazing things online. Um, there's so many, honestly, like deeply inspiring stories. I mean, talk about infectious generosity. There's this woman, Catherine Barrett, who in the early days of the pandemic in Australia, just posted a, a picture on Facebook of a box of tissues that had been left by a neighbor in her building. Hey, if someone needs to cry, you know, whatever, please take one. And she was moved by, by this. She posted this on Facebook, started this group called the Kindness, Kindness Pandemic. Mm -hmm. 500,000 people joined this group and deluged her with all of these tales of ordinary human kindness. They're around us every day. And when given a chance, they can spread like wildfire. So there was this was an example of a social media platform, in this case, Facebook, creating a kindness pandemic. And... And so part of what, what I've been trying to do in this book is to try and find the playbook. What is it that would allow us to elevate 
these stories and give them a chance to outcompete the the rest of the nastiness of what's out there. How do we make good more compelling than bad? It's usually good is boring. You know, this is the problem with media. We find good boring. And so those of us who have something good to share, we have to find a way, yes, to trigger human emotion in the way that that, that box of tissues did in Catherine. Also just to be more creative and more courageous in what we do. If we could be if we could do generosity with audacity, the rules change, and and suddenly th- these things can can take off and can you know can spread. And there are, there are actually so many astonishing stories of the internet spreading generosity that I, I get hope. And especially when you talk to people in the next generation coming through, there they're even more sick of the mean world than we are, and I think they're determined to not let the internet just just be that. How does setting the goal to have income for a lifetime sound? It's not a trick question. Many happy retirees create income for a lifetime, and it's something that's called income investing. It's a way to harness the power of many different forms of cash flow, including rent, royalties, dividends, distributions, and interest. If you'd like help with income investing, you can reach Capital Investment Advisors at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-Wealth.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Let's talk about some of the examples. You've shared over the years examples of generosity and you've got a lot of different great examples about this, but tell our audience or give us a, a story or two around the practice of generosity and the experiments that you've seen and written about and what that has taught us. Mm. Well, let's, let's start with actually with an experiment. There's, so there's, there's a lot of different things we've done in the book, but I mean, we actually had, I had a ringside view of this crazy new social science experiment that was done uh, online uh, in partnership with the University of British Columbia, where a donor in the tech community, a donor couple, wanted to give away $2 million in a creative, courageous way, an audacious way. And so we brainstormed with them. And here's here's what happened. We, we, we recruited people online for what we called the mystery experiment. They didn't know what they were signing up for. Um, thousands of people applied. We ended up, you know, we picked 200 people from seven different countries, different income levels, and they got what seemed like the ultimate spam email. Congratulations, <laughs> we would like to send $10,000 to your PayPal account, no strings attached. <laughs> and, it, um, I mean, it does seem difficult for people to accept that <laughs> in this day and age. It was, right? yeah. it actually was, but we persuaded them and, and they, they eventually took the money. The only string attached was that they had to tell us what they spent it on. There were, and, um, <laughs> and amazingly, I mean, I don't know what you would predict would happen if you, if you did this. Two thirds of that money was spent generously. It was given away to family members. It was it was spent on strangers. It was spent on charitable causes of many different kinds. 
it 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 was really 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 surprising. And by the way, um, separate thing, you know, it brought with it a lot of happiness. This whole process. We may come on to that link between generosity and happiness. But um, this led to you know uh, some important social science papers being published. It also convinced me that I I just had to write this. That, that what we were seeing is that I mean I, I think it's widely known that, that generosity is at some level inside humans. You know, there's many things inside us, but everyone in certain circumstances feels a strong instinct to be generous. But there is also this really strong instinct to respond to generosity. Mm. And there's also a strong instinct to respond to seeing other people's generosity, even when it's not targeted at you. That's the infectiousness of this. This is the infectiousness of this. So if people see a video of someone being kind to someone else, they feel often a sense of moral elevation in themselves and are more likely to be kind. So, so I'm going. Wait a second. But, by the way, all of that. By the way, Chris, was there a thesis to this donor? Did they have an idea of what it would do? Did they think 50 percent would be given away, or did they really just I, want this as an experiment? I mean, partly they they were just happy to to give away the money to other people. And and one of the one of the <laughs> papers that was published as a result of this was that they had achieved a. 250 multiple of happiness by like they gave away money so maybe technically that's they lose some something there um but the the number of people who benefited from it you know there was at least a 250x multiple of happiness so there was that but no there had been no social science experiment done of generosity at this scale most mm. social psychology experiments are done with psychology students at a university who are given 20 bucks and <laughs> what will happen next right. so this was serious money and the results were really startling. And so it certainly helped convince me that I had to I had to write about this because it's like, wait, you know, if if you've got these deeply wired instincts of generosity and a desire to respond to generosity, and we're in the connected age, hello, you know, the, the possibilities there just seem extraordinary. Like it seems like there is a world where we could be really helping each other and really, you know, using the internet for what it was made for. And there's one other key thing that in thinking about this that I think is 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 really profound. And I I think most people kind of know this, but haven't don't really know it. And it's this, it's that generosity is fundamentally asymmetric. Like we think of of typically a transaction, you know, if someone gives something to someone else, person one loses it, the other person gains it. So Zero sum. Zero sum. That's not what happens in almost every generous act. In almost every generous act, it's what the loss to the person who gives may be far less than the loss to the person who gains. So certainly in case of money, a rich person gives away money to a poor person. It's a tiny fraction of what they have. It doesn't really cost them that much. Mm-hmm. To the other person who's ne- who needs it, it may be life transformative. Enormous. Other types as well. Just the, uh, like, like if you give away, for example... Uh, a connection. If you if you introduce someone to a network of resources, that could cost you a ten minute email, and it literally could transform that person's life. So 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 in general, the spread of generosity it lifts all boats because in each of those transactions, a small cost has been turned into a huge benefit. Wow. What about the link around gratitude? Is that is that the measure? Mm. Is that the I guess that's the receiving end. So we're generous. And then the gratitude that that is of someone who receives something. Is that where the multiple is? Do you? 
Yeah, that plays, gratitude plays a huge role, I think, in, in, in starting, really, anyone's generosity journey. Like, it's very hard to be generous if you're feeling uh, grumpy and uh, <laughs> sort of inward, inward looking. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think the first step often is to find gratitude. So, so that might happen, just someone is kind to you and you just naturally respond. Or you might just start your day, you know, with a cup of tea, sitting on the sofa and thinking, wait a sec. This actually is a pretty amazing time to be alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, over there, there is a tap. I can switch it on and I can fill my kettle with water. I can make myself a cup of tea in three minutes and it's delicious. That Over there, there's an electric socket in the wall and I can plug things into that that can clean my house and make me warm and make me cool and iron my clothes. That's kind of amazing. And like that, you know, with a bit of imagination, in addition to the normal things that we're so grateful for, like our loved ones and so forth, there is just there is just a lot that we take for granted. And when you, when you start to think of it, then you kind of want to give back to the universe. Mm. And um, and so find, finding that generosity mindset is the first step. And it often comes by a, a practice of gratitude. Gratitude, starting your day with gratitude is just, it's such a healthy thing. By the way, do it you do you that? Is that something you practice? I do some days. Mm-hmm. I wish I did it every single day. I'm working on that. Um, but um, I, I, I think it's, you know, one of the, one of the <laughs> I used to swim. I like to swim in the summer. And one of the things, one of the best ways of swimming 30 lengths of a swimming pool is on each length, you think of something else you can be grateful for. Like there's lots of different ways you can, you can find a moment to build in this practice. But yes, I, the days when I remember to start with just thinking about something new that I'm grateful for, it, those are better days. Does have an impact for you. Mm. How about if we think about now the link between, so there's gratitude and then there's this feeling of, let, let, let's say, what is what do you think the science is behind gratitude and happiness? Is there a, is there a, is there a biological evolutionary link that you think that is powerful? I think that is. I haven't studied directly the link between gratitude and happiness. What I've looked at is the link between generosity and, and happiness, which is almost the biggest surprise. Like you could see if someone feels gratitude, that feeling of gratitude almost is a feeling of happiness. Yeah, it it's is. a form of happiness. It and is. so so there's clearly a close link there. But um, um, what's surprising is the link between generosity and happiness. So there was a Gallup study done with it, like 130,000 people across many countries. Um, and they asked lots and lots of questions. One of the questions they asked is, did you donate meaningfully to a cause you care about in the last month? The people who had done that reported levels of happiness that were equivalent to as if their income had been doubled. So it's it's shocking. It, it, that's a shocking number. And it's it, there may be an element of correlation there rather than causation, causation. if you like. But, but lots and lots of, of other science really robustly shows that, peop, that the act of giving brings with it happiness. And it's, it's, it's funny because in the moment of giving, we're often not thinking about that. Often what we're thinking about, we're worried about you know, is this the right decision? Right. Uh, we, giving away. Lo- Am I giving away exactly. too much? Right. 
Just like you were thinking about with Ted, right? Am I giving away too much money? Am I giving away my content? Right. What, what am I? There is once it's gone, it's gone. There's a name for it. It's it's loss aversion. It's a powerful psychological feeling, and that's often blocks us. And yet we forget that you know, once you've done it, it's a very special form of happiness. It's not the same happiness you get from eating an ice cream or whatever. It's not like an instant moment of pleasure. I think it's a deeper form of happiness where you find yourself being whispered to by that reflective inner voice, huh, I, I like this better version of myself. And this is, this is the version of me that I, I kind of like being. And, it, it, and it, there's, there's this feeling of meaning and fulfillment and, and I think deep, deep happiness that can come with that. Do you think we need to see results or is that really almost just like, is that an afterburner of, of our gift and our time? So that's a really good question. Um, I I think in some ways for the feeling of happiness, <laughs> like short term, you, you actually don't need the results. Like you, there's just this thing that if you give with an intent to do something good for someone else, you've done your part. And and if if it goes wrong after that, you know you're still you you still did the right thing. You could I think people still feel happy about that. But I also think that we almost should teach ourselves to care more about results. Because I think applying our reflective minds to how we give um, can, can actually multiply by an order of magnitude or more the effectiveness of what we're doing. And longer term, if we're to do this, we not only want to feel, haha, I'm a good person, I was generous. We actually want to say, you know, I'm, I'm being wise about this. And um, it's, you know, humans are so complicated. There's the psychologist Paul Bloom wrote a book called Against Empathy. And the essential argument of that was that our empathetic instincts, I mean, they're beautiful, but they're kind of, in, in some circumstances, they can be shallow. They, they can be tuned to, you know, so, you know, we see a disaster, there's a girl suffering, you know, we write a check to the agency and, and then we're done, you know, mm -hmm. or we we direct our empathy to people in our own community as opposed to people further away. There's a case to apply our reflective thinking to this and say, okay, I actually want to be serious about what I give away. And I want to spend my money really wisely if money is our chosen route for for generosity. I want to spend it wisely. And then, then yes, we, we really should care. And I think there is a different kind of happiness that comes with that kind of satisfaction at having taken the process seriously and reflectively and, and responsibly. And I spent three hours researching and I finally found an amazing organization. And I'm not only going to give them money, I'm going to go to their next event and learn about them and meet the community of people who are around them. You know, there's, there's, like I said, because some, some organizations have figured out how to leverage philanthropic money in the most spectacular way, they can have a much, much, much bigger impact. So it's complicated, but I, I would say let's let's use our reflective thinking to go there as well. You know, I think this has been a long-term challenge for me. And I think it's, it's a hard thing to find. Maybe that's what you're touching on here. But when you start thinking about generosity and you, you let's say, are, have a propensity to be generous, it is very difficult and confusing to figure out what 
is the right place to be generous. And I remember I, over the years, I've I've hired philanthropic consultants and people who are will sit down with you and they will say, let's talk about this. I, I find that the, the, that's a difficult job to, to, to continue to be in. I, I've had this experience over the year, over hmm. the last decade where I've, I think I've w worked with and talked to two or three separate philanthropic consultants and they do it for a little while. And then I guess it's a hard business to be in <laughs> and then they're, and then they're gone and like, okay, I got to go find another one of these people to do this. Hmm. So what <laughs> it's hard to figure out not only where to give, how to give, but it's maybe even equally as difficult to find somebody to help you with this because yeah. because the reality is most philanthropic folks are also they're subscribed to their particular cause and they're not just right. wide open. So what how do we right. find this, Chris? <laughs> is it <laughs> so, possible? <laughs> no, I mean it's it's such an important journey this. So I've I've I, I write about the book about this. There's one particular idea that I think is very helpful to think about. It's called it's leverage. Um, you know, the usual advice often from people or charities is, oh, just look for those that have the smallest overhead or whatever. That that's that's really that's really poor advice, I think, because um, overhead means you know m most charities aren't pass through things that are just sending your money to somewhere else. Most charities are hiring a bunch of people. AKA overhead to try to figure out what system change looks like in a particular area. And so, so the real question to ask is what is the impact per dollar sent to an organization? And I think if you can understand what an organization's use of leverage is, it's important. So leverage, there are so many things that can amplify the power of money, you know, technology an invention. If you, if you, you know, would you rather have, would you rather support an egg, a golden egg, or a goose that can lay a thousand golden eggs. You know, like technology is an amplifier of, of human intent. And so people who have who have figured that a powerful use of it, that is one thing. Education is incredibly powerful. You're 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 changing someone's mind for life. Mm. Um, and so investing, you know, that may be the point of amplification you like. The government is super powerful. Some philanthropies that their whole effort is to nudge the government or to to be to take risks that government won't take and show um ways of intervening on a social problem that can then be scaled massively by a government there's lots of examples of that the entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs entrepreneurship i think is an incredible uh point of leverage if you can invest philanthropically in people who have the energy and the power and the skills to build a team around them, raise money, build something and put it out there, there's incredible leverage right there. The internet offers incredible leverage. You know, you think of something like the ice bucket challenge or or something uh, which went viral or something like, you know, Giving Tuesday, you know, you invest in Giving Tuesday, whatever, this, this hashtag is spread around the world. In the case of Giving Tuesday, a few million dollars of philanthropy is is unlocking billions of dollars of donation elsewhere. So I, I just think that for me, that notion of finding your leverage, for me, the big aha moment was ideas. Mm. You know, Ted is, Ted can take ideas and amplify them into a, into a million minds. So that's powerful. And, um, but, but find, find your leverage, that piece that it gets you excited and you go, aha, I like that. I get that. And then 
you can spend philanthropic money feeling excited about it, not sort of wearily dutiful. Mm. So much yeah, of yeah. so much of so much of our charitable giving is wearily dutiful, and and that is a tragedy because some of the what most. What do you mean by that? That we can just like we have what? to do it because we feel guilty you feel to do it. Like yeah, that's right. You know, there's this person who's doing lovely work, and I kind of feel like I ought to support them, but. Yeah. You know, I like like it's it's sort of it's done from a sense of of duty, not not excitement. Yeah. And I, I I I think I think what the future needs is for change makers to <laughs> come up with really really exciting plans to change the world that will have us jumping up and down with excitement. We, we want to support you. We're so inspired by what you are doing. Go, you know, and and that that's what I really think it it can be like but to get there you know it takes you know a bit of research but finding the right community mm -hmm. there are amazing nonprofits out there and uh, and i think in the future there more and more people are going to decide that that is how you know we've got all this technology coming the robots going to do all the work ai's whatever there will always always whatever else is happening in the world there's always going to be a need for people of good heart good spirit good mind to team together and say, how can we address problem X? How can we make the world more wonderful? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So reading Infectious Generosity, your book, is is helping the reader figure out through a series of questions where they should be spending their time. How do they find a, a some sort of path that gives them leverage? So I guess that that's yes. one that's one way to do it is to to read a book like yours that can help people really think about what would give them an enduring sense of gratitude around giving. As opposed yes. as opposed to going to a consultant, I mean, have, is that something you've ever? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there, I'm sure there are, there are great consultants out there, um, but that th there are structural problems to how philanthropy works right now, where so much of it is is one donor gives to one organization at a time, and and there's there's no real chance for people to dream big. I'm I'm a believer in. Big dreams, and like I think, what we need, even what we need, are ways of creating collaborative philanthropy. In many ways, I like if someone's listening to this. Do you have a group of friends who you could invite round for dinner? First of all, hospitality is a lovely form of generosity, right there, and and just have a little brainstorm about what do we care about? Is there any is there any overlap in the things that we care about? Um, and uh, could we do anything about that? Could we support someone locally together you know or could is there a cause that we could engage in you know that's that has more reach than just locally that we all of us care about we could we could help amplify um and uh, I, I just think there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of potential right there to expand it from just being one person talking to one pro professional who steers you to one you know philanthropic org to to um uh, just, just to a more dynamic uh, dreaming, dreaming together. 
because that is the way it is. It's really it's it's the squeakiest wheels that end up getting right. donations. It's a hammered call, text. Hey, can you give? Can you give? Sure, I yeah yeah. yeah. But it's it's I'm I'm reacting very often when it comes to charity as opposed to thinking proactively. So tell our listeners about you mentioned several ways. You have six different ways. Can you share some of those to be generous that are not necessarily money-based? Exactly, exactly. So many of the best ways to be generous don't involve writing a check. Um, they all start from... I'll remember that a, next a week when I get another request to write a check. <laughs> exactly. Um, they all start from a generous mindset. And the, and the very first one is just the gift of attention. It's a bigger gift than it seems, you know, because we spend so much of our time in our own zone. You know, you're walking down the street and you're worried about things and focus. We don't really pay, we can't afford to pay attention to the people around us. But many of the most beautiful chain reactions of generosity have started just by being willing to to see someone and to look at them and, and ask them a question and, um, you know, pay attention to them. And whether it's an individual or whether it's a cause, just being open to shifting your attention away from your immediate needs. That's the first and sort of fundamental yeah. act of generosity. And I've got lovely stories in the book about people who, from that point, you know, what happened next is kind of, can be amazing. Um, and then there's many other, many other things like you can, the gift of knowledge is a, is a, is a huge mm. gift. You know, if you do you know something that other people potentially could know mm. and, and how, again, talk about asymmetry, you know, it may actually be quite simple for you to share that knowledge. That's, that's similar um, to what you've done with Ted. I mean, the, the well, Ted has turned out to be an example of that. Yeah. Yes. And it's, and it's, and in fact, it's what we tell speakers when they come is he, here's what your number one goal is when you're on the stage. Don't, you're not promoting yourself or a platform or a company or an organization. You're, you're offering a gift. You have got something in your head that others would like to have inside their heads and it could actually benefit them. So it's, it's this gift of knowledge that can then spread out to the world. And it's, it's so miraculous and beautiful that humans can, can do that. Yeah, so, but I, mean, so every- I have, I have it, it is a gift. And so many of our shows over the years and whether it's radio or podcasts or uh, the topics or get our guests have, are because of Ted, because that's where there's so many ideas that are so impactful that they, I, I want to reshare them to some extent. Yeah. And in doing that, Wes, you are being generous. I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is one of the most important forms of, of generosity. Some, many people listening to you, stuff that they've heard on this podcast has changed how they thought about their future. Yeah. Um, that is that is as big a gift as it as it as it gets in in many ways. So um, that's a beautiful thing, and anyone can do it. Everyone has something that they know they've experienced that others haven't, and whether it's just you know listening to someone and then sharing something of yourself, or whether it's making a video that goes online. The Khan Academy, which now reaches countless kids, just started because a guy wanted to teach math lessons to his relatives and too many of them wanted it. And so he started recording them and putting them up on YouTube and they love those videos and boom, you know, it's, it's amazing what can, what can be done. It was a, it was a similar virality for, from what you guys did. It was right. It was just yes. great, generous content and it helped so many people that it just, it spread like wildfire. So, so it t- yeah. attention, which you, to some, 
we live in a world where it's hard to pay any one thing any attention because we're we're right. we're bombarded <laughs> sharing knowledge mm. um, okay and then and then how about this one just the sh- sharing of of connections mm. that again is something that's can be quite easy to do but it can change and powerful. someone's yeah. life yeah yeah so uh, it's not like you shop your friends emails to anyone who asks but you <laughs> but thoughtfully if you introduce someone to someone else that can be uh, life changing, and it's it's can be relatively easy to do. Another really important one is hospitality. I just mentioned it, but I mean, um, so many great things start when people open up their homes. It's it's a very it's a you're tapping into something that's very ancient biological. Humans have always met in every culture. Humans meet together to to eat and drink, and uh, and and they they build different relationships coming out of that. Um, I think and then enchant- in this year, you talk about enchantment. Enchantment. Yeah, enchantment. I love that. Enchantment. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. So, so enchantment. So if you are a creative person, uh, whether it's music or photography or art, creative in any other way, c- cooking, you know, you, you can give the gift of enchantment. Yeah. Um, you know, just by I mean, there's many ways that you can share it, but I mean, online is the thing that in a way that can scale most, you know, that there are just beautiful stories of artists and photographers who who have given away uh, their work and so many people have benefited. This is definitely a complex issue because there's also a lot of artists, photographers and so forth who need to make a living from their enchantment. And that is okay. And, you know, I, I think collectively we all have to figure out better business models here like if you were the recipient of beautiful art or music or photography from anyone consider signing up for them on patreon and supporting them and so forth like we need to view this as as generosity that we can respond to but in in general there are just there are just magical stories of of how the sharing of creative wonder is is uplifting to uh, a large number of people and there was one more as well. I think. I think that, Built bridges, that was five. Building there. bridges, yeah. Bridges, yeah. Bu- building bridges. So that. So, in the era that we're in, that is, you know, of, of division. That is one of the kindest things mm. that someone can do. And we, I guess, we spoke about it briefly earlier. But again, it's something that anyone can do online. It's not easy to do because you can get shot at by people from both sides. But it is worth trying to do. What has maybe given you a little bit of hope? I mean, I. It's easy to find that we live in a scary world. But is there, is there anything giving you hope at this point? I think it's the belief that despite a world that's full of um, this division and outrage and toxicity mm-hmm. and so forth, I, I think the pendulum can swing on this one. I got a lot of hope talking with some people, you know, especially in the next generation, who are convinced that the tide is turning. So that you know, there was this this. Kid Milad Merg, who I spoke with, who, who's what, early 20s, who was inspired by an influencer, Mr. Beast, who, who has like 200 million, follow- 200 million followers on YouTube. Oh, yeah, my kids. Uh, he's one of the most popular people on YouTube. Yeah, yeah he, he is not a spreader of doom and gloom. He's a yeah, spreader of true. crazy, wild, hilarious, fantastically audacious and ambitious acts, many of which include generosity yeah. in some form or other. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but he, he I'm convinced he's inspiring a generation that kindness, charity of different kinds can be cool and fun. And certainly Milad Merg was inspired by him. And, you know, he noticed that there was this trend on TikTok of 
food just being wasted for the views, you know, big, huge vats of peanut butter splat. Yeah. You know, I can look how I can wreck my parents' kitchen. Um, he was kind of disgusted by this. So he did a different version. He had huge amounts of peanut butter and jelly, splat, splat, and turned it into a hundred hand, you know, he made all these sandwiches, wrapped them, took them out onto the streets, met people who looked hungry to, and gave them a sandwich. The video of this was seen far more times than than the trend that he was combating. Mm. And, um, and talking to him, he was like, look, he, he was so eloquent on this. He said, anything that is emotional will go viral. Um, and there are easy ways to do it by being a jerk. You can slap someone and you'll have a viral TikTok video. But you could be a jerk for a day, but it won't last. Like if you if you want to do stuff that actually lasts and that builds an enduring relationship with people, kindness works better. And so his embracing of this idea of, of asymmetry, that actually um, people who are trying to do the right thing on the internet can ultimately win this battle. I, I found that hugely encouraging listening to him. And I I think, so I, I guess my message would be, you know, it can seem naive uh, to think that there is a better way forward. I don't think we have a choice but to try to find that better way. I think you ha- if we can't figure this out, we're, we're giving up on um, humanity's biggest superpower of being able to cooperate and do things together. So let's let's not, let's find that way. And people like Milad Merg and, and others coming through have helped convince me that it's a battle that actually can be won. Is there something we can do if you if you think about what is a tac- something tactical that you listen to this podcast, you think, okay, what do I how, how do I do something generous today? What what's your suggestion on that? Something easy. I think that honestly I think the easiest thing that could have real consequence is to meet with a group of friends mm. and, and start there. I do love that idea. A, yeah, yeah I, love that. I love that. There's another simple thing that people could do if they're, if they're out of ideas. You know, we, we, we built this artificial intelligence, this AI called the Infectious Generosity Guru. Uh, you can find it at infectiousgenerosity.org. Um, it's called, so TIG, the Infectious Generosity Guru. It is designed to help you brainstorm what your contribution oh, to infectious generosity yeah, could be. Yeah. So it'll ask you what you care about, what do you, what do you, what are your skills, what you know, what do you know, and then get involved in a playful conversation. And, and it's it's a lot of fun. And a few people using it have really said this might have changed my life. Um, and so that that's been very, very, very exciting to see. Um, and um, I mean, I'm so curious. You know, I'm so curious to hear any stories coming out of that. So for those of us listening, if we go to this and we use Infectious Generosity Guru, which is infectiousgenerosity.org, then we want to hear, so Chris wants to hear <laughs> how, what, what is the brainstorm led to and what is the generosity that has resulted of that? I cannot wait. To, that's going to be a book in itself. That will be a book in itself. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I really yeah. do. Um, it's a lot of fun. By the way, it also helps create little um, social media images that you can share and recruit other people if you come up with a plan. It's, uh, it's. I mean, AI is going to change our lives so much, and it's kind of a battle. It could it go in dark directions. But while um, while we're all here and all surviving and saying- <laughs> We still have jobs, we, yeah. <laughs> then there, there are some ways to use AI for good, and this is one. <laughs> this is a totally unfair question. I'm sure people ask you this all the time. So you can, you can I'm sure you already have an answer for this. But what's to you the- well, 
maybe not the, but can you give us your idea around an idea from Ted that has, uh, that, that you have loved, that has moved you dramatically? Hmm. Not your favorite I'm, TED talk. That'd be no, 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 no. I mean, the, the, the biggest single takeaway for me is, is just a conviction that um, we're not helpless spectators of, of history. It's not like we have to just sleepwalk into the future. The future literally doesn't exist. Um, it, the future could be anything. It's not like it's there and we just, we don't know it. It literally hasn't been written yet. And, and the conviction from watching Ted is that every, in this connected age, everyone plays a part in writing that future. Like literally everyone, we, we're all connected, our, our views, you know, uh, c it can be a flap of a butterfly's wings that may be felt across the planet in surprising ways. So it's just that everyone should be part of this. We should be writing this together. We do not need to sleepwalk into the future. We will write the future together. And there is at least a possibility, there is a pathway, I am certain, that that future could be a beautiful one. Mm. That is an optimistic way. And I think a realistic way, I, I'm, I'm, I agree with you uh, on your sense of optimism here, that that we do have a shot at making things better. And we do have a shot of calming down the division and the, the divide, because I, I think that it's not, we feel it maybe more than it really is there. And I think that's another part of what you're, that what you speak about. And then generosity is a, it may be a, one of the main elixirs for this. And that's certainly that that's what your book talks about is that it is the, could potentially be the elixir for this divide in the world that we have. Generosity slightly reshaped for the, for the modern era, like a generosity where we don't, instead of what happens today, Wes, is that so many people nitpick each other's generosity. Someone does something kind and there's a whole bunch of cynics who say, was that really kind or were they just doing it, you know, for their self-promotion in some way, or could they have done more or how did they make that money anyway? Um, I think we have to let go of that and embrace an idea that I call imperfect generosity. Mm. There's always been multiple reasons why people do things. Even in the old days, you know, like given you shall receive, that's imperfect generosity. There's a there's a there's a additional motive there. Give and your reward shall be in heaven. That's imperfect generosity. But it's beautiful still. So so we should just encourage generosity in all its forms. We should embrace it. And if if we do there's a chance that we can get into this world where all boats rise because each of us can give the thing that is easier for us to give. And even if we get nothing back, we'll get joy from it, but we actually will get something back from it. It's the way it works. People are delighted by generosity. Your reputation changes. Th th things, things will come back as well. All boats rise. If we, if we were to collectively agree to let generosity play a bigger role in our lives, all boats rise. As we wrap up, what, what did, your career is so fascinating from media and you took a company public and then you did TED and it's grown into a global phenomenon. What is next for you? I know you're working on, you, you've just published a book recently. What is what are you excited about now? What is next 
for for Chris Anderson. Oh, thank you. One of the things I'm most excited about is this thing I, I've been building with a few others called the Audacious Project, which is an attempt to try to move nonprofit work from being this sort of weary worthiness sort of thing to being genuinely exciting. Mm-hmm. I've been so frustrated watching what we put changemakers through. I'm, you know, I'm married to one of the world's great changemakers, Jacqueline Novogratz at Acumen. And um, and I've seen, you know, for someone like that to have to spend 50% of their time raising money is just criminal. You know, we, we should not be expecting that of people. We don't expect that of our business entrepreneurs. But the fundraising mechanisms for nonprofits aren't there in the same way. There is no IPO, for example, for a nonprofit. Mm. And so money has to be raised one grind grinding out meeting after another mm-hmm. um it's it's really really bad and so h- how do you change that well you you change that by trying to create more of a market that brings together a group of donors at one time to look at pre-selected amazing nonprofit ideas and so the audacious project asks change makers what could you achieve if money was no object like what honestly what is the best work your team you and your team could do and what you get back are these thrilling ideas for a better world that tackle a giant problem or open up an amazing new opportunity. Those you then test for credibility. (laughs) You've got a dog. Those you then test for credibility and take to a group of donors who at one time get together and have to decide together, will we support that? And what what happens in that moment, Wes, is you, you get infectious generosity before your very eyes. Someone finally says, I'm convinced. I want to support this if you guys will. Boom, 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 boom. Suddenly you've raised a ton of money and this nonprofit can then go and do their actual work instead of just raising money. And I, so that, I By the think, way, you just woke up Cody. You, yeah. Cody was, you, you awakened my <laughs> snoring dog. Did, by the way, had you heard him? Did you hear him snoring? I didn't hear him snoring. I heard okay, him bark. <laughs> he's right under my legs and he's, it's pretty loud. And I, <laughs> but, and I was like, I don't think it's coming through. No, world, so. no. But it, as soon as you started about, talking about the audacious project, you just jumped up and scared oh, me. You see, he, want, he wants to contribute. <laughs> anyway, that, that, there's, there's a wheel turning there. And I, I would love that to go bigger. I just think that as, as a world, we could get much more excited about the work that is possible by nonprofits if we allowed them to dream a bit more. Mm. Well, I would say you're an enchanting human and you've had such a, an amazing career. So I, I hope the book is a huge success. I think it really gets you thinking about a problem that I think is hard to solve. And that's where do we put our attention for something that's so important, which is generosity. It's philanthropy. It's charitable giving. It's related back to gratitude. It increases happiness, but it's hard to figure it out because we have these endless options. And the way you describe about how to really think it through, I, I just... I think it's 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 worth thinking through because mm. it's such an important thing. So I I think uh, you continue to contribute to the world, and um, where I'm appreciative of that. Well, thank you, thank you so much for this time and great questions and a really interesting conversation. I I wish your listeners well as they dream about their own futures. <laughs> thank you. God God bless you. All right. <laughs> Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.